Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello and welcome. And if it's your first time listening in, then you can have an extra welcome. It's my absolute pleasure to introduce today's guest, Hannah, from the Instagram account, Against the Odds. Hannah tells her unbelievable story of strength and hope, how she beat cancer twice and overcame all the odds to have her baby girl, Rafi, in July last year. A happy ending for the most deserving woman. Good morning, Hannah. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Zoe. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thank you so very much for joining me on your um, on a weekend. It's really kind of you. No, thank you for having me. That's, that's very, very welcome. So, Hannah, I wanted to start. I normally ask the question about how you met your husband. But for you, I wanted to um, actually start with the question um, because, about your cancer diagnosis, if you're happy to start there. Yeah, of course. Um, I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 26, um, I'd been suffering with um, a really bad knee pain for well, about four months by the time I was actually diagnosed. Um, I'd um, kind of reached my wits end by the time I did get diagnosed because it had gone on for so long and I'd been to various GPs. I'd been to A&E dozens of times. Um, I'd been to see a physio. Um, I'd been to uh, uh, various people and everyone kept telling me it's a mystery. We don't know what's going wrong. Um, wow. But I walked with a limp. I could feel something growing on my knee. So I knew that there was something wrong. And in the end, um, I paid for a um, private MRI scan, which revealed I had a fast growing 12 centimetre tumour on my right knee. Oh my goodness. And at that point, I, yeah, I was told that I had osteosarcoma, which is a really rare form of primary bone cancer. And there's one in a million chance of getting it. So, um, which is why it took so long to get diagnosed because a lot of medical professionals will never see this type of cancer in their career. Gosh. Um, so, yeah, so it came as a massive thunderbolt. I'd, oh, I was at that point, I was engaged to somebody else. Um, I'd not long um, bought my own house. I was very early on into my career. Um, and so, this diagnosis literally shattered my world because I was told that I would um, likely never return to my job because my mobility was never going to be the same mm -hmm. and if they weren't able to save my leg then I would have to have it amputated so I had to deal with obviously the fact that I was going to have a disability as a result of this cancer also the fact that it was very rare and there wasn't a lot of information out there about it at the time I didn't know anybody else that had had the diagnosis um so there were all sorts of pressures financially I was worried about work and then you were about everything like your relationship um so yeah so it was um, a huge shock I to say the least yeah <laughs> I mean I can imagine and um so what so what happened from that point did you start chemotherapy straight away I was very um determined that if I could I wanted to preserve my fertility before starting chemotherapy and that was one of the first questions I asked my oncologist during our first meeting um I didn't even really think about fertility when I went into that meeting but it was one of the side effects I was told about that likely the chemo 
which was very aggressive. It was going to be eight months worth of it. It was going to affect my fertility. And obviously I was devastated. I was shocked. Because, uh, again, I just hadn't anticipated it. I think you associate chemo with making you sick, having mm-hmm. your hair fall out. So to learn, yeah, I was going to have those things, but potentially also um, not be able to have children in the future. And also the mobility issues. It was yeah. just, I literally walked out of that meeting thinking, I, I'm just feeling like I've just lost my life. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? Um, everything I'd worked, hoped for um, and planned for in the future. Um, so... But I was told that, yes, there was time to preserve my fertility. And I was told that I would be treated as urgent at our women's hospital. Um, and that was key for me because I knew that I had about, well, three weeks in order to do it because they were obviously keen to start the chemotherapy as soon as possible. Um, but at that point, I'd been on the pill, so I knew that my periods were very regulated. So I knew that um, we literally had to start the um well, IVF mm-hmm. on that cycle, which was literally 10 days away. And I remember wow. my colleague said, don't worry, like you'll be treated as urgent, you'll get a phone call. So I went home and a few days passed and I didn't have a phone call from the women's hospital. Um, and I was really conscious that my period at that point was like literally three days away and I wouldn't be able to wait another month. So in the end, I rang the hospital to see if I did have an appointment lined up. And I remember um, I was greeted by this awful awful woman who was just filed to me on the phone and she said how dare you ring up and asking for an appointment do you realize how long couples wait for things like this and I was like I completely appreciate that I said but I didn't expect to get diagnosed with cancer last week and my oncologist said I'd be treated as urgent and I can't afford to wait another cycle and she was like well it's not my problem um (gasps) you've got an appointment the letter's in the post and I said well I haven't received the letter that's why I'm ringing you and so she told me when this appointment was, and it was literally like six weeks away. And I said, well, I, I, I can't wait that long. And, um, and she was like, well, that's what you've got. And I literally, I remember my mom was sat next to me at the time and I put the phone down and I burst into tears. And my mom had heard the conversation and she was like, forget it. Like, we'll go private. Um, and I didn't, didn't know where to like turn to. So I remember like, we Google, I think we rang a private hospital, completely clueless. And they yeah. were like, we don't do it. But they told me about another um, IVF, a private clinic, sort of about half an hour away. And I rang them and what a difference straight away. She was like, the person I spoke to was just lovely. I think she, secretary like transferred me to the doctor and who said, um, really reassuring. She's like, do not worry, we can fit, fit you in. She was like, come tomorrow with your partner for a meeting um, and I can get you on the drugs um, immediately and that's exactly what happened so I went for a meeting the next day my period did arrive a couple of days later yeah. and I was literally on the medication and the whole process was done in about 10 days Gosh. because during that time yeah during that time my knee pain got a lot worse so I um, got back in touch with my um, in fact this was with my surgeon because I've been led by well I was treated by two different teams so oncology and then a surgeon because I obviously had chemo and then limb salvage surgery so i my got in touch with my surgeon who had actually was the person that had given me my diagnosis and I arranged to see him I think it was the same day I rang because my pain was like that bad and so I went to meet him and oh he made me feel awful as well and I said yeah. my pain's got worse and he was like well your pain's got worse because you've got cancer you need to start chemo you need to pack this fertility nonsense up because oh. if you want a letter from the queen on your 100th birthday um you need to you know just forget about that and concentrate on your treatment but actually, as my oncologist said, there was time because my chemo was already lined up, I think, two weeks later. So I wouldn't have started 
treatment any earlier. So there wasn't any delay. So he literally, I remember, walked out of the cubicle and I literally burst into tears again. Luckily, there was a lovely nurse and she was like, you haven't got the best bedside manner. I'm like, sorry. And she got it. And I'm not sure she got it more for me because she's a woman. And well, yeah. she was just a bit more sensitive. You probably can see it from my perspective. But um, again, I walked out of that meeting in tears and I rang my um, fertility doctor, who again was fantastic. And she was like, look, don't worry. She was like, I'm going to come in on a Sunday. I have to, to retrieve your eggs. Wow. And I think she um, she increased the meds I was on and then um, just to sort of speed the, the process up. And then, yeah, I think the egg collection was done on a, on a weekend and she came in on her own time to do it. And they were it was amazing. I, I actually found the whole fertility preservation a really positive experience during that time where everything else was like bad news yeah. and like, my world seemed to be collapsing around me. To be able to do something positive during that time helped me so much and during the months that I was then in hospital because I pretty much lived in I was only allowed home at certain weekends but knowing that I had my eggs stored um it gave me some it gave me hope and it yeah. was like reassuring it was something else that I didn't have to worry about during that time so um yeah so I would definitely recommend people diagnosed with cancer to investigate whether or not they can preserve their fertility because I'm so glad that I did even though obviously that route didn't end up working for me um, I'm really glad because it gave me peace of mind back yeah. in 2007. And it gave you some hope. Gosh, sorry, I'm exactly. absolutely exhausted listening to that because that was to have been such a short period of time that all of that took place where you had your diagnosis, the fertility, speaking to surgeons, speaking to oncologists. You must have yeah, been, your, your brain more, must yeah. have been completely frazzled with everything yes. going on. Wow. Yes. And then <laughs> how did the chemo go? The chemo was, bizarrely as well, the chemo, was actually quite positive for me because it was the only thing that stopped the pain in my knee. So I remember literally after a week of chemo, my knee pain was a lot better. And I, for me to have some relief after it was October, my pain started. I was diagnosed the following February. And then January, I was literally at my wit's end because I couldn't sleep with this pain. Wow. Um, it was constant. I couldn't walk, I couldn't drive, couldn't go to work. So I've been signed off sick. And I think my boss at the time, was not very particularly supportive and kept saying, oh, well, they're saying your legs are mystery. You know, can you not come back? Mm. I, I could literally, you know, get around my house. So um, I, the diagnosis was a relief really in itself. And then to start chemo and to have the pain begin to ease up again was actually just a relief. And it, was, it wasn't until um, I got home from our first week of hospital that I began to feel sick. Because when I was having the chemo itself, I was just lying in hospital and I, I felt okay, to be honest with you. And it's it's obviously it's sort of days later when it's mm. in the system that you feel horrendous. But again, I I remember really now I look back at that time and all those months, quite some fond memories. I met some really good friends in the hospital. Um, my own friends and family were fantastic. They'd visit me every day. My partner at the time was brilliant. He would literally um, finish work and spend hours with me. Um, so, and I was really lucky that I was teaching um, I was treated on a young person's unit, which they're funded by the Teenage Cancer Trust. And they're actually really nice places to be. They <laughs> they have lounges, kitchens, so I could have my own food, um, brought yeah. in. Yeah. I didn't have to have hospital food um, and to be with other people the same age. And to meet people that had the same cancer as me, like, helped me so, so much. Obviously, I felt dreadful, but that was generally when I was um, 
at home and it was mainly it was just the tiredness and sickness but I was very lucky I didn't have infections I never went neutropenic so I never had to be rushed back in um to hospital and um I kind of just saw it like I kept thinking I had eight cycles and each cycle I was like right it's like another hurdle I've crossed and I just kept focusing on that finishing line so I started treatment in March and I finished November and I had my surgery in the middle so with the type of cancer I have you have chemotherapy um, I think about three, four months of it. And then you have surgery, which is either limb salvage, which I had, or um, an amputation. Yeah. And I didn't know until I woke up from my operation if my leg was going to be there or not. So again, wow. I, I kind of, the surgery for me was a lot harder to deal with than the chemo itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I have the surgery. And then following the surgery, you have a little about a couple of weeks break and then it's back on to chemo and then at the end of that I had to learn to um walk again and use my new metal prosthesis inside my leg so, so it was it, a very long where, yeah. where's the prosthesis is it in your knee it's in my yeah so it's in my knee so I've got a full knee joint replacement and then part of my femur so a lot of my right leg is metal wow um inside but I'm really really lucky that I didn't have to face um what well, deal with an amputation mm-hmm which a lot of my friends had to. I'm so, and what, what, what point did the, did you get the all clear from the, for the cancer? So I, um, again, with my type of cancer, it likes to go to the lungs. So following treatment, you then have scans every three months and they're of your um, chest to make sure that it hasn't spread to your lungs. So I was never given the all clear, but I just kept having scans um, every three months of my lungs and everything was fine until about 18 months later when I went for a routine checkup and completely out of the blue, I'd become very blasé because I think I thought, oh, I'm like, I'd got to a year down the line of clear scans. Oh, it's fine. And I got to when I was so blasé, I'd almost forgotten about this checkup until I'd looked at my diary. Oh, I've got a cancer checkup next week. And I'd gone on my own for a chest X-ray. And then I'd seen um, a, my surgeon afterwards and completely out of the blue, he told me that there was something suspicious in my left lung. And I knew what that meant. I knew mm. that there was this event that was going to be a tumor in my lung I, again I had to go home wait a few days went back for a CT scan of my chest and had the results that day that actually I had tumors in both of my lungs God. which was um, obviously devastating to have got 18 months into remission um, and also everybody that I'd met in, can- uh, in hospital that had had lung metastasis hadn't survived so I did really think is this it now um, and I knew that um, if they were saying chemo alone was my only option I knew that it was likely to work I knew that surgery was my best chance um and I we had a, a bit of a wait two week wait I then had to get referred to a, another hospital where I met a chest specialist um who told me that yeah he did think that he would be able to remove the tumors from both lungs he didn't know if it was going to be from open chest surgery or keyhole again I didn't know until I woke up from that operation what it had been and again I was so so fortunate that um, they managed to remove all the tumours um, via keyhole surgery. And I recovered really quickly from that operation. I think I was back at work within five weeks. Oh, my God. But I was, yeah, but and I think part of that was because I was so determined that I wasn't going to let this, like, take over my life again. Because, again, I felt really angry when I relapsed. I was like, oh, I just got my life back. I just started feeling better. Um, started having a bit of normality in my hair. Started to grow back again. Like, superficial things. But I just I felt really angry annoyed that I was going to potentially lose obviously not only 
my independence for my life. So I was like, right, once I'd had the operation, I was just wanting to get back on with it. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually tell many people um, about my relapse because I was, I just didn't really want to talk about it. I'd been very open during my first diagnosis. I'd, um, it was before Instagram, I'd set up um, a website and it was like an online journal really that I'd done so that friends and family could keep updated during my yep. treatment. But it afforded me the, the opportunity to, to meet people from around the world that had the same type of cancer. Um, and I met so many people through it. I, um, it, Again, it was a real lifeline to me during my treatment. Um, and uh, and I loved updating my website. I did like little diary entries, and, like updated photos. And there was like a guest book where people would leave messages for me. Again, really helped me psychologically Absolutely. during yeah, my illness. But when I relapsed, I just had, didn't have the inclination to talk about it or post about it. I was I became much more uh, private about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I went back to work and um, life sort of carried on, uh, whatever normal is. I had to obviously learn to then adapt and accept the fact that my mobility was never going to be the same. So life was different. Um, but um, I just went back to having checkups then every continue every three months and then every six months and I still have checkups now every six months but I'm a long way down the line now obviously so, so how long I think it's been now since your since your last it's been 2009 my relapse so it's um, been yeah 12 yeah years congratulations that's amazing thank you thank you you are one incredibly strong woman that is that um, some story and and where so, does um where does Rick come in Rick, yes, and my relationship um, with the person that I was with when I was diagnosed with cancer, that um, ended um, not long after my relapse, actually. Um, I think I had a bit of a different relapse after that. Uh, obviously, my lung surgery, I was just very much like decided that um, I wasn't happy, hadn't been happy for some time. And I, was, I just yeah. realised you've got one life and yeah. I can't afford to waste any more time. So, and he'd been massive support and fantastic me during my treatment, but we'd become more like friends. And I suppose for a long time, really, he'd been pretty much my carer rather than... Um, Your lover. So, yeah, yes, definitely. So um, so I ended that relationship. And um, and it wasn't until, oh, how many years later? That was 2009. I met Rick 2013. I was single for some time before I met Rick. Um, and then I remember my mom saying to me, you need to move with the times, you need to get online. Um, uh, and so I joined eHarmony. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I can, people genuinely meet people at work. I hadn't met anybody. Sorry. Um, Rafi is back. No, you're escaping your child, yeah. I can see. <laughs> yeah. So I joined eHarmony and I was signed up for six months. And actually I'd been on a date it had been a bit again disastrous like and I was due to my membership was due to like expire the week after and I thought you know what I don't think this um is actually for me this online thing so I'd come back from the date and I thought I'm just going to shut my profile down and there I had a message from Rick <gasps> and the message made me laugh and um but I was in two minds I was like oh do I respond because I was still going to shut down the profile and I thought sod it he's made me laugh <laughs> I'm just going to send him. I sent a message saying look I'm actually going to shut the profile down um but Here's my number, and if you fancy meeting for a drink, he ends up being living like really close to me, um, and that was it. I think we then started chatting, sort of text messages, uh-huh. and we met up a week later. And we both say it was like the best birthday we'd ever had. Like we literally were sat in the pub um, and uh, chatting for hours. I think we were there to close, and um, yeah, we we had a great first date. And 
and that that was it it was um kind of a bit of a slow start he'd like not long come out of a long-term relationship um so again wasn't ready was I think I was ready because I've been single for some time but mm-hmm. we just took our time and, and that was it and we um we've always just got on we've always had like a lot of fun and then um, Rick's always like just really accepted me for who I am and been very supportive and I've loved that and it felt a very refreshing sort of different relationship where you can just be exactly who you are with that person yeah so we met 2013 we got engaged 2016 and um married 2017 ah love it I love a good love story (laughs) at what point did you start looking into um trying for for a baby yeah so it was actually 2017 it was just before we um before we got married it was actually that summer I was referred to by my GP to our local infertility clinic for um for tests because obviously I was aware that there were potentially going to be issues because of the chemotherapy I'd had um so I went for appointments and I had a scan and they told me oh yeah your ovaries look fine um I didn't actually have my MH tested at that point um, because that was going to be done in my next appointment, apparently. My next appointment was like given to me like six months away. And obviously, we were trying it all this time, nothing was happening. So I was given another appointment, I think six months later, which was then cancelled a week later. So I was given another appointment for again in another six months. Oh, no. And on the day of that appointment, yeah. And on the day of that appointment, it got cancelled again. <gasps> what? At this, point, at this point, we've been trying for a year and nothing's happening. So on the, when, they rang to tell me that appointment wasn't going ahead. Again, I got quite upset because I was like, I've been waiting now a year for like my second appointment. And then the woman I spoke to was lovely. And she's like, I'm really sorry. She's like, I'll try and get you seen quite quickly. So she gave me an appointment for a month's time. I went to that appointment and they were expecting me to have had my AMH tested, to have an experiment. Oh, no. and done. I was like, they haven't been doing because we've been waiting for my next appointment. And so that doctor said, well, I can't do anything with you today. You're going to have to go back to reception and book those tests. That was July. I went out. The earliest they could give me for Rick's tests and my um, blood test was November. So I was like, this is like... That's so frustrating. Frustrating. Um, And then um, I, I did actually, sorry, I did end up having my MH tested. But I remember that the person I had to pay for it and the cashier was on holiday for a week and they couldn't accept my money. So again, I had to wait, I think, a week for my AMH to be tested. I booked Rick in his test for that in November, months down the line. And um, again, really frustrating. I felt quite emotional at that appointment because you just want you, just, you want answers at that point. You've been trying. Yeah. Um, and it was when we had my the results of my AMH, about three weeks later, um, we were giving them over the telephone and um, they were really low. I was told that my AMH was 1.7. And during that conversation, the IVF was likely to be our best um, chance of uh, having a baby. Um, but we were told again that there was probably going to be a six-month wait. Um, and we decided, oh, sorry, go down the NHS route. And we decided yeah. that we didn't want to wait. So I quickly started Googling local IVF clinics. And I found a clinic. That hadn't long opened actually it's care fertility I know they're a national company but they hadn't long opened uh, in Birmingham and it was literally five minutes from our house oh wow you can't get any better can't, I can literally I can you know we can walk to the clinic um we uh, I booked into an open day that was happening the next week and I went to the open well we went to the open day together 
and I met my consultant and I knew there and then that I just wanted uh, her to be my consultant. I really liked her. I trusted her immediately. She knew, understood my story. Um, and yeah, she was brilliant. So I was like, yes, we, we want to go go with you. Amazing. And that's what happened. So we started IVF um, October. I lose track. 2018. Yes, 2018. So this um, is using your eggs that you had frozen yeah. prior to chemo well, all that time ago. Yeah. So I told her, um, obviously during that meeting, um, that I had just frozen 10 eggs. Um, what I've never discussed online is I actually had um, seven embryos frozen, but with my ex-fiancé as well during that cycle. But obviously, um, married to Rick, we wanted yeah. our own child. So, um, so she was uh, very optimistic, actually, quite positive about my eggs. However, the process used back in 2007 is one that isn't used today. So my eggs were slow frozen, um, but she was still hopeful. So what I had to do was, again, quite a, a long process. I transferred, uh, moved my eggs from the clinic that I'd frozen them at to, um, to care. Um, and the plan was to use those eggs to thaw them all um, and use ICSI on them with Rick's sperm. However, the twist in the tail was that during that first cycle, um, I was obviously taking medication, so it was going to be a FET. And um, we were literally, we'd got my lining after a few issues, we got my lining thick enough, and we were going to thaw my eggs, I think, in two days' time. And uh, my consultant said that she just wanted to do a blood test to make sure that everything was okay, mm -hmm. check my progesterone. And she rang me the next day with the result and said she had no idea why, but my progesterone was too high. So we were going to have to cancel the cycle. And I was absolutely devastated having obviously got my lining thick enough and yeah. geared myself up the thawing of these eggs. Um, I was devastated. And um, she said, but told me what to do and told me I'm going to have to take the pest race and that's going to bring on a new period. And then next month she said, we'll try again. So I did that. I started the pest race and my period never came. Um, which was odd. So I think a week later, I contacted her. My period hasn't arrived. And again, so that was, that was strange. And she said, just let's just rule this out. Just go and do a pregnancy test. And I thought she was crazy. I thought, what on earth? Why am I? <laughs> but I went and bought a pregnancy test and did it. Um, and to my utter amazement, it was positive. And I remember I was so shocked. I didn't actually, couldn't understand if it was positive, even though there was a problem there. <laughs> And I remember Rick came home from work and um, I showed him and he was like, yeah, I think it's positive. So I rang my consultant back. Again, she was like quite surprised, to say the least, and then um, told me to go to the clinic for a blood test, which I went and had. And then the following day, she ran me with the test and said, yeah, you're definitely, you're, you're pregnant. Wow. So bizarrely, I'd pregnant, fallen pregnant naturally during that first IVF cycle when I was on medication that obviously to stop my period. Yeah. <laughs> it's all very bizarre. And obviously I hadn't been ovulating. I've been doing ovulation sticks oh, for like 15 months beforehand. I don't think I'd ever had a, like a positive one. Um, so we, we couldn't believe it. But obviously, um, devastatingly, that went on to be a mis miscarriage at our first scan. And we learned there was um, no heartbeat. Um, I didn't even know. I hadn't even heard of a mis miscarriage beforehand. Um so it was, um, we were just devastated. We just hadn't expected it. And I think we really thought after all, like bad luck, I thought yeah. we'd be gifted a miracle. Yeah. Um, so it, was, it was a huge blow and it took some time. I, I had a medical miscarriage in the end and, and it will always be one of the saddest times in my life having to, 
go to hospital and take the medication. It was just, it was awful. And then I bled for um, about a month afterwards. It was, yeah, just a very low point. I remember I'd started, I'd been promoted, so I just started my new job and I didn't want to be off sick. Um, so I was going to work like heavily bleeding, in pain, um, but wanting to sort of carry on as normal. And, and it, in hindsight, it was the wrong thing to do. I should have had time off. Um, and I think me and Rick really sort of retreated into our own little world. We just sort of started going off on walks. I think we felt surrounded by a lot of our friends were um, announcing sort of second pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And I felt very, um, very lonely. And actually, that's when the Instagram IVF community really helped me because to meet other people that had been in the same situation who'd had miscarriages and who were going through IVF oh it helped so much just like the cancer community had helped me so much all those years ago this was just um just the same like the friendships that I've met from people that are on Instagram you know I know they're going to be lifelong friendships it's crazy Um, isn't it yeah I think and it's definitely what what helped me more than anything was just chatting to people who um, understood what I was going through. So that was, um, that was January, 2019. I had the miscarriage and then we had a break from IVF until July that year when I think physically um, my periods obviously messed up for quite a while. So I think I felt we went on holiday and um, I felt just ready to try again. And that's when um, we, started IVF again with the 10 eggs that were frozen um and uh yes and that didn't go well either so my 10 eggs and the, uh, doctor my consultant is called Dr Roger Carroll she was very honest they didn't know um how uh, the thawing of these eggs were going to go and we found out during the week they were thawed that the media used to thaw these eggs, um, slow frozen eggs, had stopped yeah. being produced about two months beforehand. Oh, you're kidding me. No, so to wait 12 years with these eggs oh, and then lose out by two months on this, um, the product used to thaw them in was, oh, you just couldn't even make it up. And then I was thinking that, oh, if we, it made me think about the miscarriage again and if that hadn't yeah. happened, if I'd have started off, we'd have started IBF earlier. It was just awful and it was really tense. The eggs were thawed over two, three days and the embryologists were fantastic. They kept updating me. Um, Again, I I was at work. I think I had the first phone call and they were very honest and they said, this isn't going well. I think they'd done three and I think they just, um, the eggs were just destroyed straight away. So they were were thawing them in in small batches? Small batches. Okay, yeah. I was wondering about that. Yeah, so I think rather than doing them all once they were doing yet yeah, small batches so she'd um I think if it had gone well they would have done them all at once but um they'd started off I think there was three and they'd all just like disintegrated I remember I was at work and I went into this room to have a phone call and just literally burst into tears and um and she said that she was gonna do some investigating she's like I'm gonna halt it today I'm gonna make some phone calls and see if there's another product we can use Oh, and they were brilliant. She, she rang around the country and she had another product sent to the clinic that arrived the next morning. Rick had given one sample that day, had to go in the following day, do another sample. <laughs> um, and so thawing started again the next morning. And again, they kept me updated throughout. It didn't go well. I think um, did three from memory. Three survived, but one didn't look good. So I think we really had sort of two 
that um, fertilized with rick sperm. Um, and then again, there was another tense wait to see how that developed. Um, essentially, we were left with one one embryo. Um, I think it was a four cell, and they we didn't even uh, it, we it literally was put in when it was four cell, so it didn't even develop into a blastocyst. So, um, okay. but again, we went in, and they were like the best. Let's just put it back in yeah. rather than it's the best place to be. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was literally transferred two days later um but you've got to hold on to hope haven't absolutely, you and I just said, well you know we've got one it's a chance um so we went through the two-week wait and then obviously had our negative um test and again I was just oh, just devastated it's um hard to put into words I think I'd when you've had so much hope I'd really held on for like 12 years to these eggs that mm-hmm. were going to be my champ of motherhood yeah and to um I remember Rick saying how have we gone from like 10 eggs to just nothing and I think it was obviously bad luck with this product stop being uh produced um it's you could just think about it because then you start crazy thinking about like why why have you been so unlucky and um we were just I remember we were really low that day and again we went out for a walk cried um and then we decided let's go to Ibiza because <laughs> yes. our friends yes our friends, <laughs> yeah a lot of our friends were uh, 40 and they'd booked a big villa and they'd invite us at the start of the year but that's when I was pregnant and the baby would have been born in August and the holiday was booked for September so we'd had to say no and then obviously we had this negative test and I think the holiday was literally 10 days later and we were like let's just go we we need a break from everything so we literally booked a very last minute holiday we've got ourselves uh, booked a hotel flights and we went to Ibiza and we just had the best week and it sounds bizarre because we had all this heartbreak and sadness but we just went and we felt like Hannah and Rick again I felt young again for the yeah. first time in years we hadn't drunk we'd both stopped drinking for oh, a long while while we were trying to conceive yeah. and we went to Ibiza and oh just to I think I was having pina coladas for breakfast and then <laughs> going out clubbing, having clubbing for years and we just had fun and it was the best thing we could have done. We like, I don't think we even really spoke about IVF and fertility issues and uh, I just felt like me for the first time in a long time. I think it's and, just so um, all consuming, isn't it? And I think you, um, it's a, you did an amazing thing by kind of removing yourself from normal yeah. life and and, and kind of I guess refinding yourself and, and yeah and and I think, a couple as well yeah oh do you know we had the best time as a couple like we've never really been clipping together but we were like just going clipping just the two of us and um obviously our friends are there as well but we had like really special time just together oh and did your friends know what was going on or what, and what had happened yes they did and they were again didn't they only spoke about it if we wanted to, but we didn't really want it, to be honest. They were just lovely. We had like lots of hugs, like knowing sort of um, like smiles and just lovely. And um, But we didn't really want to talk about it. Um, and it was 100% the best thing we could have done. And it was a real escape. And I think we just came back feeling, uh, yeah, like just a bit like refreshed. And actually... On that holiday, I realised that whatever happened, we were going to be okay together yeah. because yeah. what we did talk about was that actually if we didn't have a family, then the two of us were going to have a good life. And I think I it was my first time to Ibiza and I fell in love with the place. And I was like, well, we could just come here. And Rick was like, yeah, we can come to Ibiza every year. And I was like, 
not just one trick. Like, I want to come a few times a year. <laughs> and, like, do whatever. And um, so, yeah. So, actually, I think it, it just made me think it's going to be okay. I think whatever you've said it, you've said it quite a few times about needing hope. And I think, again, yeah. you'd, you'd rediscovered hope that you, you know, even yeah. if it hasn't worked, you've still got each other. And that's, that's yeah. good. And that's so that you still have hope about the future in that, in those yeah, 100% and um, I think what was good about the holiday was that a lot of our friends are childless by choice in that group of friends and that was really refreshing as well yeah. so we weren't with families we were with couples our own age that have made the choice that they don't want um, to have babies so it was really nice actually to be with you know people with that sort of mindset as well um, so I'm doing <laughs> sorry sorry he's got um so we came back sorry I'm used I'm used to mothers hiding around the house it happens a lot <laughs> we came back from Ibiza and we booked in for a um a consultation with our consultant basically to discuss the last cycle which has obviously been a disaster and to talk about a, a way forward and again that was a meeting that we weren't prepared for because in that meeting um, it was very much, it seemed to be the end of the road for us um, mm. going through IVF again because she spoke about the chances of it working. And actually, if we wanted a family, our best bet was probably looking at donor eggs. And she mentioned, had we considered adoption? Um, and it was lots of things that actually I don't think that we were ready to yeah. discuss at that point because I'd always wanted to at least try a fresh cycle with the eggs that I had have now. So to hear actually, what, you're not even going to give that a chance? I felt just disappointed mm -hmm. and um, hurt, confused. That was the first time that actually we left a meeting and Rick burst into tears like before me. He seemed like, I think, yeah, he was just uh, confused as to how we got to this point. Yeah. So, so a little really. bit cheated maybe. Yeah, and that's exactly how we felt. And um, I remember we sat home and we came home and it was a lovely sunny day. We sat in the garden and um, he was just like, again, I can't believe we're just here so quickly. And um, But what she had said during the meeting was, let's test your OMH again. Before we rule out a cycle, let's get another blood test done. Um, so I booked in for an AMH test. What I'd also done, I came out of that meeting, I think I was so determined, I just wanted, I wanted to be a mum, wanted a baby. And... Um, a girl I'd met through the cancer community years ago who'd had the same cancer as me. She's a lot younger than me and she'd gone on to have three kids um, biologically without any yeah. problem. Had contacted me oh, two years before. She sent me a lovely message just saying, um, look, she'd seen uh, my account on Instagram and basically was offering to be an egg donor oh, and wow. said, this might sound really bizarre, but I really, um, I'm a mom. I don't want any more children. And I just want to know that I'm more than happy to, to uh, you know, be an egg donor for you. So she sent me this message. And at the time, obviously, oh, it, we hadn't even started IVF. And, um, but I don't remember that message. And I kept, we'd come out of that meeting with our consultant. I said to Rick, well, my friend has offered. And I remember I messaged her a day. I think I was just literally oh, probably being like a little bit irrational to then message somebody completely out, out of the blue. And I like, remember that kind of offer you made to <laughs> on the table he's, he's serious and I remember like we chatted and she was like oh well, obviously like I do discuss it with my I don't think she'd even mentioned it to her husband at that yeah. point but 
me earlier, so she would need to speak to him. And anyway, oh, poor girl. I think like we chatted, but then actually she had a lot going on in her life and like I didn't hear off of her again. And it was probably like not a good thing that I just did this out of the blue. But anyway, um, I did it because I think I got to the point where I was just like, I just wanted to be doing something yeah. positive. Yeah. Again, you're just trying to, you're trying to find some hope again. Exactly. Um, anyway, a week later, I went for my AMA, AMH test and waited for the results. And, um, and I always remember I'd come home from an early shift, was shattered, fallen asleep, phone rang, it was my consultant. And she sounded really happy and um, said she had good news. And I was thinking, like, what, what is, could, can possibly be good right now? And she said, your AMH has increased. It's gone from 1.7 to 3.1. Wow. So she was happy. Yeah. So she was basically happy to do a fresh cycle. I think she'd been anticipating that it was going to be sort of below zero, yeah. like negative. So I think she was shocked. And I remember I said, I said sorry, I kept saying to her, like, sorry, say that again. What? <laughs> I remember I was grabbing around to get a pen and paper to write it down. I was like, 3.1, what? Are you sure? And she's like, <laughs> yeah. So she asked me when my period was due. And I said, oh, well, actually, um, I've just had it and she's like perfect she's like let's go right now she's like I'm going to list write your list of the drugs um let's go with this cycle so oh we my gosh wow right away. within two weeks I think we'd started it was crazy it was like the October so yeah we'd had that meeting in September had the test in September weeks later we were into this cycle and I remember thinking and saying to Rick my god we've just been to Ibiza like drunk you know I'll come every day for a week and I like, had no sleep like I didn't do any prep we'd obviously we'd been taking supplements for so long anyway um but uh, beforehand I'd like been doing acupuncture I did nothing for this cycle we literally just went into it very open-minded very much like um we've got nothing to lose mm-hmm. obviously apart from money <laughs> but everything to gain um let's just just go for it and again I think maybe that helped without I didn't really think think about it um there was no time to uh like oh almost dwell on like what if it doesn't work how devastated are we going to be it was like let's just go for it um and that is obviously the cycle that resulted in um uh the birth of you know my our daughter so um it just shows honestly it was just uh yeah because people often say to me how did you prepare and I'm like I didn't prepare for this round we'd had obviously the heartache in the summer we'd gone on this holiday for a week we hadn't eaten or drunk very well and then we literally went straight into it so um yeah and amazingly I had six eggs collected again I remember coming around from sedation them telling me they'd got six eggs I could not believe it again I was like how many are you sure <laughs> six and then only um two fertilized so we had two put back in two embryos put transferred um and again at our first scan there was actually an empty sack. So um, if they had put one back in, it would have been a miscarriage again. Um, but there was a strong heartbeat and that was our daughter, Rafi. And um, What was that I, like, I know, seeing I mean, that heartbeat for the first time? Oh, it was amazing. I was so nervous. I think once you've had, um, obviously, bad news once, you, oh, I, I, I felt sick with nerves. Um, and my consultant knew that, so she quickly, as soon as she could see something, she told me what she could see. Um, mm-hmm. oh, that felt huge relief, but... I don't remember there ever being like huge celebrations because I think you're always just so nervous. I think once you've experienced loss and I, I was again thinking, oh, we've only got, she's got like one embryo, like there weren't any in the freezer and it felt like our, 
one shot really at yep. this. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he would have gone through IVF again um, if it hadn't have worked. Um, uh, amazing, and obviously we were so happy. But we, um, yeah, I didn't post about it straight away on Instagram. I think I was very conscious. Again, you don't want to upset people because you've had good news. But again, I was so cautious, and it felt very surreal. I don't think the pregnancy actually felt real probably until 20 weeks and that's when I started to buy things and I love my last my third trimester was brilliant but beforehand I would say I was very um oh uh just yeah anxious and just just so um yeah I didn't want to take it for granted of course that makes absolute sense but I had a wonderful pregnancy I didn't have sickness I didn't have anything but at the same time because I didn't have some side effects that would make me worry sometimes yeah, it's thinking, almost oh, harder isn't it because you you want yeah. to feel pregnant and yeah so I, I can relate yes. to that a lot I would convince myself I'd go through these weekly cycles of um seeing yeah. seeing the heartbeat feeling okay for a few days and then um and then convincing myself I'd, I'd miscarried again until the next scan which was in another yeah. few days time so it'd be like this little roller coaster for the first I don't know mm-hmm. 16 weeks probably and yeah so I and yeah. that's what I've told you it's such a roller coaster and it's a cliche to say it but it is and there is there's nothing that can prepare you for it I don't think because you just never obviously from having like council cycles you just never know you never know how your body's going to respond and I think I just had to always learn to expect the unexpected because it's it's a relentless frustrating and it's a it can be a very very cool process IVF and it's such a lottery yeah um, was she was it a frozen cycle or a fresh cycle no it was a fresh cycle wow that's incredible yeah. amazing yeah fresh cycle so okay. yeah we haven't got any um we haven't got any frozen embryos okay. um as a result of that cycle it was literally yeah just yeah so when did you find out in. um when you were pregnant that she was a girl we did we decided to have the harmony test mm-hmm. Um, I think because my age, my consultant recommended it. Um, and Rick wanted to know the sex. I'd always wanted, I think, I thought we wanted a surprise. Because I thought, oh, we don't get any surprises like in adult life. Um, but actually, when we were given the chance to know, she gave me two envelopes, one with the sex, one without the sex. And I think when you've got the opportunity to know, oh, I'm, I'm not good at waiting anyway. So um, we collected the two envelopes. In fact, Rick collected them from the clinic. And I was at work and I was like, don't you dare open. <laughs> I got home from work and he'd had to pop out. So he was like, well, don't you dare open. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and we decided, yeah, to, to find out. And actually, it really helped me connect a lot more with the pregnancy. And it made it feel a lot more real. Um, yeah. which, you know, I'd always thought I'd want a surprise. But yeah, it, I think because of what we've been through, it just felt right for us to find out. Absolutely. And can we have a moment just to talk about her hair? Oh, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I had a plan of C-section because of my health issues and because the um, chemotherapy has affected um, my heart. Um, a decision was made. Again, it was a consultant-led pregnancy and they, it decided that um, it was going to be a plan C-section. And I'll never forget Rick gasping as they brought her out. <laughs> In fact, sorry, he gasped. And, um, but all of the, the doctors around us gasped and it was Rick that said, is everything okay? And they were like, yeah. And then Rick popped his head around, saw her hair and was like, oh. And they were like, yeah, that's what we were gasping at. And Rick was like, do you see a lot of babies with this amount of hair? And they were like, no. (laughs) (laughs) um, 
she's got this crazy head of hair. We've literally had to blow dry it since she's been born because it's amazing. So much, too long to towel dry, but she lives <laughs> in the room. Um, so it's um, and obviously in lockdown, there's not much to do. So she has two baths a day and two blow dries a day. So she's <laughs> it's the most pampered baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Rick said. She has like bath, blow dry, little massage. She's like she's living life. She's yeah, pampered baby is what he calls that. And where does she get the hair from? No idea, because apparently neither of us were born without a man to pair. Although Rick has got quite a lot of a lot of hair now, so um, <laughs> I don't need to say him. Um, but yeah, I, I, neither of us apparently had it as babies, so it's um, yeah, people can't get over it. <laughs> it's gorgeous. I absolutely love it. And can I just quickly ask about? Um, so you said you're still on six monthly checkups for the cancer treatment. So how was that after the pregnancy? Do you know what? I think it was more nervous than I felt in a long time because I obviously couldn't have my scans during the pregnancy. Um, And I think the fact that I've now got this baby, I felt just sick with nerves because it just puts it a different perspective on it. Um, Oh, God, I'm going to get emotional. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I get emotional. I think about it. And I follow a lot of, um, I'm sure you know, like Deborah. So I'm not sure if you know. um, Yeah. And it's just it's devastating. So I thought of leaving her and it coming back, and it's like I have to be here for this baby. My cousin was diagnosed with breast cancer um a few years back, and she had two children. And I remember having conversations with her, and it does put a different angle to things. And I remember her saying to me, I I have to be here for my children. I I can't die from this. And um, and it just it is a thought of her. I don't, it's not myself I was worried about when I went for my checkups. It's Raffi I was thinking about. Like, I need a clear scan for her. I've got to be here for my girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, um, yeah, they're more difficult now. I had one two weeks ago and it's that, um, yeah, I, I felt nervous and I hadn't felt nervous for years because they've become part of part of my life and I don't yeah. like to let the disease control it any more than it has done. So I kind of forget about them. I go for my scans, um, meeting my oncologist and I'm always kind of, relax because you always have that I only get nervous just before I go into the meeting I feel like oh what if um but I manage it pretty well but since I've had her it's um a lot more uh they're a lot more difficult I would say just um yeah the worry for her not for me no I understand I understand thank you um Hannah so much for sharing your incredible story um like I'm literally blown away with everything you've you've told us today um I like to finish the podcast um with the same three questions if you're happy to answer um the first yeah. being if you were to have coffee with any woman um in yeah. the alive dead fictional um family yeah. who would be and why oh, it would be my gran who passed away um a few weeks after I got engaged to Rick Aww. so she never got to marry him and she never got to obviously learn about Rafi and I would just like to let her know that everything turned out okay um because yeah. we were very close as I said I was single for quite a long time and my gran was a huge part of my life so um I spent a lot of time with her and like every week we'd have like an evening together and she became like my plus one like family <laughs> wedding my, my brother always had a partner my cousins had partners and it was me and my grands that were always together. Like we felt a bit of a team, really. So she was a huge loss. So I would like to meet her and just, um, she loved tea. I don't like tea, but she loves tea. So I'd like to meet her with tea. Um, <laughs> I can have a graphic campaign and just tell her that everything um, turned out how she wanted it to, that, you know, I met Rick and that I'm happy. 
Yeah. And show her Raffi. Yes, and show her Raffi in her hair. <laughs> <laughs> and um, since becoming a mum, is there anything you've found yourself saying that your mum used to say, or your grand maybe? No, you know what? I think Raffi's probably she's only eight months, so I think that's going to come. I think generally I find myself saying things and that sound like my mum. Sometimes I think, oh, poor Rick. But I would say in terms of the mum thing, I can sometimes be a bit like, oh, don't forget to do that. If he's like taking her out for a walk and don't forget a hat and like a worrier, like my mum has said to me since having Raffi, now do you know why I worry about you? And it's <laughs> you do. But sometimes Rick's like, Han, like just yeah, yeah like, chill out, sort <laughs> of. Um, so probably just that. And my mum's always like, just be careful. Like every time I'll like leave the house, like be care- drive carefully. And I'm finding myself saying things like that <laughs> a lot. I'm always like terrible with just driving. I, like drive traffic. Don't even think about going over the speed limit. <laughs> so, um, things like that. But I know that I'm sure more will come as she grows older and we're having conversations. Oh, well, good luck, Rick. But yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> And um, considering everything you've been through, um, is there any um, advice or a mum hack or a life hack that you could um, share with us? Oh, do you know what? I think what I've learned since having her is that everyone's got to do what's right for them. There are so many people out there wanting to give you advice, sometimes advice that you don't want or haven't asked for. Um, so I think you've just got to do what's right for you and your baby because babies are all different. And mm-hmm. um I love the fact that actually my mum has never been one of those mums to sort of has been telling me what to do she's been so supportive since I've had her if I want advice I'll go to her but she's very much like no you're doing great you'll just follow your gut and I think that's what you have to do you have to follow your gut and follow your heart and if something doesn't feel right to you um I know sleep training is a big thing and lots of people into sleep training and quiet out and I know that that that's like not the quiet out isn't for me and um but I, you can feel under pressure a lot of the time. Oh, like, why isn't your baby doing this? Why isn't your baby sleeping through? And just have to think they're all different. And yeah. um, I'm just following my heart and what's right mm-hmm. for us. And that isn't going to be right for everybody. Um, so I, that's what I say to moms. Like a friend had a baby recently and she asked, and I just said, just you do what's right for you. Yeah, if you want to ask a question, ask a question. I'm not going to be bombarding you with advice. I think follow your gut and your heart yeah. and then you, that can be right for you and your child. That's absolutely so probably not very helpful, but um, that's yeah. I just think we can get involved, and then there's so much pressure out there, isn't there? And I just think no, you have to find like your your own way, and also find out your communities. There's lots of um, pages I've started following. I love Lindsay Hookway, mm-hmm. um, and is it Gentle, um, Gentle Mama? There's certain things like that. that I yeah. think you just find accounts that speak to you. She's over here in and, Dubai. Oh, she, oh. Uh, she's been on the podcast as well. I'm just, you must have listened, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I'm definitely going to listen to. And it's it's funny because I think with IVF as well, I think I was so focused on just getting a hair. I never thought about the type of parent I was going to be afterwards. Yeah. And actually, yeah. the type of parent I thought I was going to be, I don't think I am. I think because I've always worked shifts, I was very much like, oh, yeah, I'm going to live routine and this and that. And it, it, when she was here, um, I've always just done contact naps because I live holding and I remember mom said to me you've waited a long time for this just enjoy it so whereas I think some moms will want to put their babies down uh, to nap in cots I don't I've, I've held her and um, still do and good and again that's not right for everybody but um, you just find your own way so it is funny I had all these ideas of what I thought it was going to happen and reality has been very different and I'm yeah. sure that's probably the same for a lot of moms okay. Isn't it, find um, people I think with 
Yeah, the gentle mama that says it's only a problem if it's a problem to you. Problem to you, and that's exactly what um, yeah, Lindsay Hookbray says as well. And and I love this one as well. It says, um, well, because people always say, "Is she good? Is she a good baby or a bad baby?" <laughs> and then someone put a quote saying, "On, yeah, but are you a good adult? Are you a good adult? Yeah, I've seen that as well." Um, <laughs> so I think finding people that actually just speak to you. I love reading something like, "Oh, I get it. Like that speaks to me, and that reflects what I'm doing and how I'm feeling." So people will find, you'll find like your own um, sort of like tribes or people yep. out there that no, you can connect right. with. Yeah. We have to do. Amazing. And how can people find you? Oh, so I am um, against the odds. Um, and it's against, as in egg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Using IVF and the very, my very clever play of words. Um, thank <laughs> you so, so, so much for speaking to me today and for sharing your story. It's been absolutely incredible. And you are incredible, to be honest. Um, you're wonderful. Oh, not so thank you. Thank you very <laughs> thank much. You, Thank you so much for listening to the show. Isn't it incredible that after all these years of cancer checkups, Hannah's focus suddenly switches from concern over herself to concern for staying well for Rafi, her special girl. I know every listener will be right behind me here when I wish you, Hannah, a lifetime of health with your gorgeous family. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe if you're enjoying the show. Have a great week. Bye.